Thanks for joining us for this week's episode of The Trail, from New Hampshire to the White House. Anyone who wants to be president has to come through New Hampshire first, and no one covers New Hampshire politics like WMUR. I'm WMUR political director Adam Sexton, and we hope you can join us every week for this podcast. When Senator Bernie Sanders suffered a heart attack earlier this month, concerns were for his health first and foremost. Campaign and political considerations were far down the list. But now both the candidate and his presidential bid appear to be in much better shape as we head toward the primary homestretch. Senator Sanders is our guest this morning. Senator, thanks for being here. My pleasure. So first off, uh, give us a sense of how you're doing about a month out from the procedure. Uh, I'm doing great. Uh, I had a blocked artery. Two stents uh, were put in. Uh, this is a procedure done about a million times a year in the United States. I spent two days in the hospital, back on my feet, feeling great. What assurances can you give everyone that you're not taking any unnecessary risks with your own health moving forward? Uh, well, I wouldn't, obviously. My wife wouldn't allow me to do that. <laughs> uh, no, with my kids or grandchildren. Uh, I'm feeling strong, I'm feeling uh, healthy. Uh, and I think we are in a position to run a vigorous campaign. Uh, from now to Election Day. Certainly the setup right now looks pretty good. You just got a big endorsement from Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. Will we see you campaigning with her here in New Hampshire? Uh, that We're working on her schedule, working on my schedule, so I can't give you a definitive answer, but Alexandria will be campaigning with me around the country. What does that backing mean to you? She is a phenomenon. I got to say this. Uh, if you understand that nobody knew who she was one year ago, in fact, a year ago, she was tending bar someplace, and now she has helped, I think, transform politics in this country in terms of being an inspiration to so many young people, people of color, but people in general, uh, in the sense of being a, a person who is prepared to stand up to powerful corporate interests and represent the working families of our country in a language that so many people can understand. She is the author, all this within one year, of the Green New Deal, which recognizes and my proposal on climate change builds on the Green New Deal, which recognizes that climate change is the existential threat, not only to the United States, but to the entire world. And that we have no option but to go forward in an aggressive way to transform our energy system away from fossil fuel to energy efficiency and sustainable energy if we are going to save this planet for our kids and our grandchildren. That's what she has helped contribute, uh, and I think she's going to be a great asset to our campaign. One of the big points of contention now in the Democratic primary is the issue of health care, yeah. Medicare for all taking a lot of fire from the more moderate Democratic candidates. You've made the case on the moral side for Medicare for all. Recently, though, you, you were asked about how to pay for this, and you're saying, I don't have to put out a plan on that just yet. Do you feel you're obligated, though, to say uh, how you're going to pay what for I, this? Th this is what I, I say. You're dealing with a very significant plan. Do I think I need to tell somebody if they make $84,000 a year exactly how much they're going to have to pay? At this point, I don't, because you can introduce a plan to the Congress. It'll be changed, no matter whose plan it is. But Joe Biden made that criticism. And I want Joe, who's a longtime friend of mine, to tell the American people why he is defending a wasteful, dysfunctional, and cruel health care system which results in the United States spending twice as much per person on health care as do the people of Canada or any other industrialized country, while 87 million people are uninsured or underinsured, 30,000 die a year unnecessarily, and some 500,000 people go bankrupt 
because they cannot afford to pay for a serious illness that they had, like cancer or some other type of illness. That's what Joe has got to defend. Now, what we have done is laid out a number of options. And what our plan says, you're not going to pay any more premiums, nor will your employer. There are no more co-payments. There are no more deductibles. There are no more out-of-pocket expenses. And we're going to take on the greed and corruption of the pharmaceutical industry such that nobody in America will have to pay more than $200 a year for the prescription drugs they need. Now, health care is not free. It's got to be paid for. It will be paid for out of the general tax base. We're exempting the first $29,000. So you make $50,000, first $29,000, you're not paying any taxes on. You will pay, perhaps we look at various options. One of the options is a 4% tax on income, exempting the first $29,000. All right? So at the end of the day, if you're not paying any more premiums or copayments, your prescription drug costs are much lower. For the overwhelming majority of the American people, they will be saving substantial sums of money on their health care costs as compared to the current system. Can you give us a ballpark, though? On You might get a lot more support if you can draw that line. Say household family income, $110,000. When do the costs go up as opposed to go well, down? Well, not, not for a family of $110,000. It's a progressive... You know, we have outlined various options. And as I've said, there is no plan ever brought forth by a presidential candidate that is going to be adopted uh, totally by the Congress. There'll be a lot of debates. But at the end of the day, for the very, very rich, yes, they're going to pay a lot more in taxes under my proposal. For the average American, they will be saving significant sums of money on their health care costs without, because they're not going to pay any more premiums. Uh, co-payments or out-of-pocket expenses. You mentioned this being a battle in Congress. Certainly would be. And if you're President Sanders uh, coming up in 2021, are you working with the Democrats you have on Capitol Hill who are skeptical of Medicare for all? Or are you going to try to replace them with Adam, more progressive? What I would say it certainly is disagreements within the Democrats. That's correct. But let's be clear what this is about. The health care industry, that is the insurance companies and the drug companies, do you know how much money they made in profits last year? They made $100 billion dollars charging us the highest prices in the world for health care and the highest prices in the world for prescription drugs. They're going to be advertising on your television station. And they're out in Iowa. They'll be all over this country. They will be lying about Medicare for all. They'll be lying. Because their goal as the health care industry is to continue to make as much as they can in profits and continue to charge us by far the highest prices in the world for health care. We are taking them on. And it's not easy. So I'm not just worried about my Democratic opponents who disagree with me, and some of them like, you know, Joe Biden, who now has a super PAC, including healthcare industry folks on his super PAC. I'm not worried about them, but I am concerned that this industry will spend as much as they want in order to maintain their profits. And I think the American people understand that we cannot continue to be the only major country on earth not to guarantee health care to all, that health care is a human right, not a privilege. You're in a very solid position potentially to gain the nomination of this party. If you're going to get to that mountaintop, do you think you need to offer any kind of an olive branch to those dyed-in-the-wool Democrats who aren't big, big money or corporate Democrats, but they're those party activists who still are upset about the fact that you rejected the party's nomination running in 2018? I rejected the party's nomination. For the Senate. When you ran for the Senate, oh, this well, sort of look, back and forth. I won the Democratic nomination from the, the Vermont Democratic Party. I won that. But in Vermont, we have a unique situation. 
and I made a promise a long, long time ago that I would run as an independent. But I am pledged, absolutely. Look, I intend and hope to win and expect to win the Democratic nomination. If by some chance I don't, I will do as I did in the last campaign and vigorously support the Democratic nominee because we will be taking on, if he is not impeached, the most dangerous president in the history of this country, and he must be defeated. I hope and believe that I am the strongest candidate who can defeat Trump. Turns out that it's not me. I'll be there for any other Democratic candidate. You've got a new plan out on marijuana legalization, yeah. but you said you want to take pains to make sure that you don't get a big tobacco style situation. Yes. How do you do that? I'll tell you how you do it. First of all, the war on drugs has been enormously destructive to so many people that we have got to finally understand that you cannot, as the federal law now does, the Controlled Substance Act, literally put marijuana at the same level as heroin. Heroin is a killer drug. We could argue about marijuana. It is not a killer drug. So we're going to make it legal all over this country. We're going to expunge the records of those people who have been arrested for possession of marijuana. And the third thing is, I think it is proper that we allow those people, often the African-American community, Latino community, who have suffered the most from this war on drugs. Whites and blacks do marijuana are about the same level, but blacks are four times more likely to be arrested for a variety of reasons. So I don't want to see a handful of large corporations control that legal industry, and we're going to do our best to make sure that people, small businesses, medium-sized businesses, and the African-American and Latino community are able to capitalize on marijuana when it's legal. So they're going to be, you're going to be picking, I guess, who can Not picking. We will be, but, but if we don't, then you're going to see, as you're already beginning to see, large, go to Nevada right now and you'll see these large uh, posters, billboards, you know, buy this marijuana, buy this, you know, that marijuana, controlled by the corporate interest. I think those people who have suffered, who have been jailed for selling marijuana should benefit from the legalization. You're a big supporter of bail reform on the criminal justice yes, front here in absolutely. New Hampshire. It's been implemented uh, and there were promises that would both improve public safety and outcomes for defendants, but there's been some problems along the way, in particular uh, with offenders getting out who would have been held under the previous system, uh, people who are dangerous and reoffended. So my question is this, some of the activists here who back this say essentially that people just need time to adjust to this new normal in criminal justice. Do you agree on that? Well, I think you don't. No. Nobody wants dangerous people who are a threat to society to be out. I mean, I think that's the case. On the other hand, what our critics have to deal with, and this is really quite unbelievable, we have some two million people in jail today. That is more than any other country on earth. 20% of those people, 400,000 people, are sitting in jail this moment having been convicted of nothing. They were arrested. They haven't been convicted of anything. The only reason they are in jail is they are poor and they cannot afford bail. It is very hard to defend that situation. That is Charles Dickens's dead as prison. So I think, you know, I'm not gonna say you snap your fingers and, and everything is well, but we have to eliminate cash bail. We have to be careful that we don't allow people to be out who might be violent, but I think we can work that out. All right, Senator Sanders, we're glad to see you back. Thank you Appreciate very much. Your time. Life's beautiful moments, sunsets, landscapes, wildlife. That's WMUR's Ulocal Facebook group. Join this growing community and browse the stunning images captured by viewers like you. Or share your own. Get started at our Facebook page, facebook.com slash WMUR9. Go to groups and join Ulocal. See you there.
She's an outsider in politics, but an insider in the world of wellness and spirituality, and still looking to build a bridge between those two worlds. Marianne Williamson is our guest this morning. Thanks so for joining nice us. Nice to see you. Thank you. We appreciate your time. Uh, so you've got a lot of this built-in interest due to your previous work as an author, but you're still looking for that spark on the campaign, the political side. What do you have to do here in New Hampshire as we hit this final hundred days here to make something? There's happen? plenty of spark at my talks, Adam. Uh, plenty of spark. The American people. The spark that matters is the spark inside people's minds, and uh, people in New Hampshire as in all primary states, but I think throughout the country, are aware that something needs to shift pretty radically. We have really lost our moral compass in this, in this country. Uh, we, we need a new beginning. And that is something that has nothing to do with words like categories, an outsider to politics. In America, nobody's an outsider. That's the radicalism of American democracy. We have these lanes, spirituality, politics. Politics is not just another lane. Politics is our citizenship. And the spark um, that I'm not looking for, because it's there, I'm speaking into it, is the spark of very, very serious reflection that we need to end one aberrational chapter in American history and begin a new one. We need a moral, a season of moral repair. We need to deal with the unbelievable challenges and vulnerabilities of millions of American children. That's why I want a Department of Children and Youth. We need to deal with the fact that we must take radical action on climate reversal, climate change reversal, which is why I want a World War II level of mass mobilization. We must take a sober look at the fact that our national security agenda is based primarily on endless preparation for war, but we also need to prepare and wage for peace, and that's why I want the United States Department of Peace. The United States will not be able to have the future we want if we're not willing to clean up some things in the past. It's time for us to take some serious reparative action in terms of descendants of slaves and Native Americans. Those are sparks in the mind, and um, there's plenty of spark in this campaign because I actually think that this is the only campaign that is doing the kind of radical truth-telling that is going to be necessary in order to defeat some pretty radical, outrageous lies on the other side. You mentioned these outrageous lies. Since the last time we talked to you on Close Up, you contend there was a smear campaign essentially against your credibility. How do you think that differed from the normal course of the hyper-vigilance, I guess, that the press has sometimes when it comes to candidates? Well, hyper-vigilance is important. Healthy skepticism is important. Uh, you have that, Adam. You know, you, uh, you know, your job is to kick the tires of the, of the presidential candidates. But I've never seen you ever uh, lower yourself to the kind of smears. People call me anti-medicine, anti anti-medicine, uh, anti-science, anti, uh, crazy, dangerous, uh, grifter. Uh, you know, you could hardly look in the newspaper, look on the internet, or, um, you know, look on television that somebody wasn't out there giving this, the talking points to this very well-intentioned, not well-intentioned, but very specifically intentional smear campaign, which was in direct response to the fact that I had definitely broken through uh, after that second debate. I think that uh, for Democrats, all of whom, you know, we all want very much to uh, nominate someone who uh, will defeat Donald Trump in 2020. But we have a DNC, I'm afraid to say, that, you know, they put their finger on the scale last time. It didn't work out for us. And they're putting their finger on the scale this time. But this time, it doesn't have to just be one person. It has to be four or five, uh, one of them. It's, it's like the equivalent of the old party bosses. This is not good for democracy. They're, this is just a private corporation. They're not a government entity. So this whole reality TV show of the debates, it's artificial who made it in the 
polls. It's all about money and establishment power. So then the projection onto someone like myself is I'm an outsider. Adam, this is America. There is no real outsider. You know, in the Constitution, it says that in order to be president, you have to be, have been born here, you have to be 35 and older, and you have to have lived here for 14 years. There's no, there's no mention of political parties, political elites, and so the American people in New Hampshire, perfect example, first primary, you should have all the time you need to listen to all of the candidates, to think deeply about this. This is one of the most consequential decisions any of us will ever make. And people in New Hampshire know how much power you have. The DNC should only facilitate that. They should not dictate that process. That's why I'm running. I don't, I don't need the imprimatur of the DNC saying I'm part of their incestuous club, so I should be considered. And I am grateful for opportunities such as this so that the voters can make the decision for themselves. Let's talk about what's going on in Washington. What's All your right. position on the <coughs> impeachment inquiry? And do you think Democrats are pursuing this in too political a realm? As Republicans allege. Well, the people who are in Congress have a constitutional authority here, and they have a constitutional responsibility. I was not an early one to call for impeachment because I, I recognized the balance that we needed to, um, uh, to recognize in terms of the political realities, the fact that the Senate would probably not impeach no matter what the House did. But I do believe it's gone too far, and so I support the inquiry. I just think it's important that as Americans we remember we're going to have to walk in chew gum at the same time here. We have to remember uh, that a lot of things are going on, including a presidential race, and not let the impeachment inquiry suck up so much of the oxygen that our focus is taken from other places where it needs to be as well. What about the conduct itself? Do you agree at all with the Republicans <coughs> essentially saying, this isn't a problem, these conversations with foreign leaders happen, uh, or should we just accept <coughs> as the new normal that a president could ask these kinds of things of a foreign leader to, to investigate a political rival? Let me tell you what the problem is. The problem is people who have forgotten what it means to be a statesman, who want to support President Trump over what should be deeply considered support of their country no matter what. I'm old enough to remember Watergate. I remember that it was Republican senators who drove over to the White House to tell Nixon it's over. I remember uh, the, the statesmen such as Howard Baker. I remember the, uh, the, the Watergate era as a time in which men and women put their country before their party. That's a problem. And of course it's a a problem for the president to be asking a foreign country to investigate one of his rivals and to make it very clear in an almost mafia-like way that if you don't do it, you're not getting your $450 million in aid. Of course, that's a problem, and any intelligent observer and intellectually honest person knows that. Let's move a little closer to home for you. California <laughs> right now, wildfires burning, blackouts rolling through the state to try and prevent some of that fire danger. Do you think as climate change becomes more severe, that California in particular uh, will need to reverse some of its overbuilding and try to move people out of these areas that are so fire prone? I take... Uh, I, I I feel very confident that uh, people in California, uh, the progressive nature of the citizenry and of the government and the very advanced um, uh, minds having to do with climate change reversal, having to do with forest fires, will know exactly what to do in terms of that formula. I think what all of us as Americans need to realize is that the, is the certainty of people there who are in the business of fighting forest, uh, forest fires, etc., that this is related to climate change. That's what Americans, this is what really needs to get through to us. We have 12 years in which we must take radical action. 
And Americans do big things. World War II was a radical action. We know how to do big things. But if we do not take serious action, as I said before, World War II level mass mobilization in order to sequester the carbon, to reforce, to invest in clean energy, to deal with the factory farms, if we do not have this kind of mobilization and turn from a dirty economy to a clean economy, we could have, within the next 15 to 20 years, a level of massive social collapse unlike anything we have seen in the modern era. Americans need to wake up and get to work. Some of these rural counties in California have been without <coughs> power for days. Is that fair? These people who are living out there now by candlelight and no heat? Well, look at what the danger is. They understand what the risk is. The reason the power is being turned off is because of the sparks and because of the possibility that fire could be ignited. Listen, I've talked to some friends who I know, of course it's not easy, but do they prefer that to the risk of a forest fire? Uh, a fire? Of course they do. All right. Well, Marianne Williamson, we appreciate your time here on Close Thank Up. you. I appreciate you as well. We'll see you out there on the trail. Thanks for joining us for WMUR's The Trail, from New Hampshire to the White House. If you have a moment and can write a review or subscribe to this podcast, we'd certainly appreciate it. You can also find us on WMUR.com and our free WMUR app 24-7. See you for the next episode of this podcast next week.